Last Coffee House. So, thank you, everybody. I, for some reason, my second episode ever is about the Second Amendment, and it just got blown up by my standards anyway. <laughs> a lot of downloads, so not sure why and why now, but I appreciate it. Anybody who, who did and listened to it and found any information in that helpful, I really appreciate it. I still have some allergy stuff going on, but it's not apocalyptic like it was recently, so that's good. So, this episode is about archaic arguments for God. <laughs> I just watched Ben Shapiro had William Lane Craig on his show for an interview. And I've got to be honest, I love Ben Shapiro. Quality guy. He's one of the most, on everything except for religion, he seems to have such a tremendous amount of integrity. And he couches what he says about religion fairly well. <laughs> Like, he doesn't make all these strident declarations that you hear from a lot of religious people. He just, he kind of sits more in the background. You can tell that he wants to maintain the cultural and practice aspect of religion. He, he believes and might justifiably believe that it's very important to maintain those things, but doesn't really contend with the finer points of what religion is and, and individual beliefs and all that sort of thing. But anyway, so I really like Ben Shapiro, quality guy. William Lane Craig, on the other hand, is, how do I say this? <laughs> <laughs> in a gentle way. He's dishonest? <laughs> He's an excellent debater, and that's what he's trying to do, is debate a topic that he's already decided on. He doesn't have any interest in actually discussing something to find out what's true. He's already decided what's true, and he goes on from there. You don't even have to take my word on that, that that's what he's doing. I mean, I can demonstrate that as, as I go against his arguments, but... And I'm not going to categorically refute everything he's ever said right now, or anything like that, but... He has explicitly said, and I don't know if his stance has changed on this subsequently, but the thing that makes him believe that the gospel is true is a personal witness of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. That's that's what makes him believe that these things are true. It has nothing to do with evidence or argument or any of the arguments that he uses or anything like that. It's the personal witness of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ that makes him believe that these things are true and accept so then everything else may or may not be accurate, but you could take all those things away and you would still believe because it's it's a personal, individual, superficial, subjective, emotional thing. It has nothing to do with the validity of the arguments on the outside or being able to demonstrate the truth of the claims that he's making. So anyway, he was on the show and Ben asked him some questions and there were <laughs> some lovely softball kinds of questions. You could tell he didn't want to topple the apple cart when it came to these. He said he was going to steal man, the atheist position when it comes to God, uh, especially relative to two arguments, the two allegedly strongest arguments there are for the existence of God. The first one being the Kalam cosmological argument, and the second one being the moral argument. Of course, outside of, you know, clown world, uh, I hate to use that term now, nowadays it means something else. It's specifically this weird... <laughs> this weird progressive dystopia that we live in right now that's trying to censor all over the place and demonize you for thinking words mean certain things, all sorts of crazy stuff's going on. But, I mean, in the real world, the Kalam and the moral argument are pretty incredibly weak, and that's being charitable. I mean, they're pretty easily refuted by pointing out the incredible weaknesses within that are fundamental to those arguments. So I left, <laughs> I don't do this ever really, but I've been doing it more for some reason, but I left like a comment because I 
want I honestly wanted to see if anybody would engage it or look at it because I was really disappointed because you can show you can demonstrate integrity and say okay well here's the best counter argument to my argument here's what it is I think it's invalid but here's the best counter argument and that's what Ben Shapiro asked William Lane Craig to do but he didn't do that he said some nonsense uh, he just obviously kept the buttress around this goofy argument and said no it's uh, it's perfectly fine the only thing they could come up with is something strange an atheist could only say something really strange to be able to refute these arguments because they're so strong it's it's complete nonsense and it's the kind of canned response that he's been giving his entire career it's been like 40 years of this stuff he's been doing this for a long time but he's a debater first he already has his conclusions he's a debater first and everything else second so anyway I left these comments related to this to Kalam anybody who's not familiar with Kalam Kalam cosmological argument there are I think they're Aristotelian kind of version of this is things exist things need a cause to exist things exist therefore there must be a first cause uh, so it's the unmoved mover the first cause kind of thing William Lane Craig's formulation of Kalam is the one that he uses and touts all over the place is anything that begins to exist requires a cause the universe began to exist therefore the universe has a cause and then he goes on from there to say that it's the personal Christian God <laughs> And uh, that's a whole nother leap that we can't really get into. But the comment I made, I'm going to read the comment that I left related to that. Just for the hell of it, where I point out best counter arguments to Kalam uh, that he didn't talk about. So I said uh, that wasn't steel manning. That wasn't even straw manning. It was bath bubble manning. <laughs> Sorry. Goofy. I was in a fit. Uh, the best counter arguments to Kalam are, number one, the first premise requires special pleading and begs the question. It might as well say everything except God requires a cause to exist rather than anything that begins to exist has a cause. So number one, I'm talking about, like I said, his formulation explicitly adds this anything that begins to exist. So then he can say that God doesn't begin to exist. God always existed. So therefore he doesn't need an explanation and he doesn't need a cause. It's just special pleading, question begging built into the premise. So that's uh, a counter argument to this formulation. Number two, and this is a huge one, is that the premise is based on intuition and experience, but no one has ever witnessed something begin to exist in this context that it's being used in. The validity of the premise comes from it being used from a different context. What I mean is that we've never observed anything begin to exist from nothing. That has never happened. The only thing that you do is, is some spooky readings of quantum physics where we say that electrons pop in and out of existence. Uh, really, that's not what the conclusion conclusion that quantum physicists draw from that as far as I understand it's really just you can't predict where the particles are going to be so it seems like they pop in and out of existence but they don't really and obviously if things can pop in and out of existence and that just solves the issue anyway from nothing but so the, the really important idea here is that we've never observed anything begin to exist from nothing that's ex nihilo we've never observed that we have observed things begin to exist using the semantics he wants to use ex materia so something from something else we have material it becomes something else obviously in reality it's just a reconstitution of things that already exist it's not something beginning to exist but so the whole point is it, Craig is using creation ex materia and saying that it's creation ex nihilo saying that something that we've observed creation ex, ex materia is the same as creation ex nihilo and so he's using the observance of that to say that, that the other one exists and that's completely invalid that completely invalidates the whole structure of the argument and Craig knows this he's completely been made aware or was aware himself of this counter argument to that he's completely aware of it he does this deliberately because he's trying to support trying to rationalize an ideological position as opposed to determine what's correct whether it's correct or not so again very important that we've never ob observed anything 
be created from nothing. We've only observed things be created from material. So you can't apply that as a, a validation of the first one. Number three, so the concepts, he talks about this a lot, like an infinite regress in the time. So if you'd have to have an infinity of time, if the universe was infinite, you'd have to have an infinity of time before the current moment, which doesn't make any sense. Logically, you couldn't have that. And then he talks about the Big Bang and, and all that. The important thing to understand here, obviously, Einstein talked about how time is an illusion, although it's a persistent illusion. It's an illusion. But the important thing for number three is that the concepts of time and beginning are completely meaningless in the context of outside the entire universe or existence. I think it was Sean Carroll who dissected this idea contra Craig in a debate, and I confirmed that it was Sean Carroll. There was never a time before time. There was never an existent nothing before something. Like Those things don't make sense in the context of the entire universe. Of course, there are some quantum physicists and cosmologists who have theories about like this being regional, our universe being regional, so it's just not influenced apart from the Big Bang. It's not influenced otherwise, and it's not something we could observe the other region that influenced our Big Bang. And there are other like expansion crunch and multiverse and all that. All those things are other options when it comes to that. But of course, that would still leave the question of where those universes came from. But the important thing is that the concepts of time and beginning don't even make sense in this context. They're not even categories of understanding that we can have related to the entire universe. Time didn't exist before time. There wasn't a time before time or a nothing that existed before something was. So something has always been. There's no other way semantically to frame that, to structure that. And number four, oh, it's just the gigantic leap. <laughs> Um, the, gig the gigantic leap between there has to be some kind of a cause, a cause is required to all the tens of thousands of propositions that are associated with the Christian God and those being true. So that's a massive leap and that's self-explanatory why that's a massive leap. He doesn't in this interview with Ben Shapiro, he doesn't go into detail about this part of his argument, which is actually pretty detailed and complicated because you have to go through each part of it. So I, uh, you know, generally leave that one aside, but it's still a huge leap. Number five, many cosmologists, quantum physicists, and string theorists believe they saw the beginning of the universe issue with various theories, but they are all theoretical math, and I have no means of evaluating them for accuracy. I'm not any of those things, so I can't evaluate whether they're correct or not. So they could or could not be true, or as far as I'm concerned, the jury's still out on where everything came from, and whether that's something that we can even make sense of from inside this universe, or with any kind of semantics that would render meaning to another... <laughs> <laughs> another primate who who the heck knows but whatever the case i mean this is just a matter of dissecting this argument it's just for purposes of this argument it's completely vacuous it's a horrendous argument and yet it's consistently trotted out so it's it's a problem it really is a problem so that's number one. Anybody who finds Kalam valid still, please at me somewhere. Like, shoot something at me. Let's have a, a complete discussion about what this would actually mean and whether it's actually valid. Because this is one of those arguments that just needs to die. There might be other valid arguments. But this, especially in this formulation, just needs to die. It It's very clearly invalid. So... Number two, like I said, the second most important one, I don't know if you ranked them that way, but was the moral argument, which is just dopey. So my uh, statement on that 
is the moral argument is plagued with semantic issues, but setting those aside and assuming much of the term definitions is still easy to challenge. There are no objective morals. This could not even be the case philosophically. To prefer behavior X to behavior Y, you need reference to a value. To prefer value I, little i, to value little i, i, you need reference to another value, so on and so forth. It's an, it's an infinite regress. There's no point where you reach a value where you don't need reference to another value to be able to determine its validity against another value. You can't just say and stop somewhere and say, okay, this is the most important value. I'm done. It's values all the way down, just like turtles. <laughs> all the way down. So religious values are no more objective than values based on the tile placement on a Scrabble board. It's values all the way down. And to illustrate this, I talked about, the, I said there were two important questions to keep in mind. Number one, what would a world without objective moral values look like? Would it look any different from the world that we have? What would it mean? What, how would it function? And of course not. If there are objective moral values somewhere out there in the ether, it doesn't function any way differently from the one that we have. Based on my first part of the argument, I don't even know what it would mean to say, oh, look, I found an objective moral value. It's, it's a little, it doesn't really mean anything, but even if you you could do that, it wouldn't look any different from the world that we have now in the way that morals and values function. Number two, if religious values are somehow more objective than other values, how would you convince someone who believes in God but does not want to act morally or accept Jesus Christ in their hearts? I put it in this dichotomy because some people say that that one acts morally in a religious framework because you know either they, they want to do good, they want positive results, or they want some kind of benefit to themselves, or even without any benefit in the hereafter, it's being divorced from Christ generally. <laughs> that's the problem. That's the punishment, even if there's no hell or something like that. Now, obviously, mainstream Christians, as far as I know, they believe in hell, but there are some that are outside of that who would say that, no, it's just being divorced from Christ, and that's what hell is. It has nothing to do with burning or anything like that. I'm sure a lot of spiritual, <laughs> not religious, but spiritual people would say that. So I just want to include that too, just being separated from Christ as a punishment. So if somebody believes in God and but doesn't care about any of those things, then how do you convince them? What do you say to them? How do you get them to do this? If they say they accept hell and don't mind being separated from God or Christ in eternity, how do you convince them to nonetheless follow Christ? What do you refer to? How do you get them to go along with you? What if they reject every value you put forth about self-interest, heeding your creator, protecting your family, eternity, etc., etc.? They don't care about any of those things, none of those sway them, then how do you convince them? The whole point is that it's values all the way down. You just have to reference another value. Just, okay, how about this value, that value, that value? So Craig asserts that religious values are special, uniquely objective by philosophical fiat, not logical argument. There's no difference between saying, well, uh, you have to do this because God is your creator. Uh, okay, why does that matter? Uh, well, because he's the most powerful thing ever. Well, okay, why does that matter? I don't, I don't care. But he'll punish you. I don't, he can punish me. That's fine. But you'll be punished for eternity. That's, I'm okay with it. That's fine. I'll take that. So again, it's just values all the way down. And you can pick the value for each one of those steps, no matter what you could possibly say. And say, so? <laughs> It's, it's going to mean the same thing as if you were saying uh, from a secular perspective and you're saying that, uh, well, that causes harm. And the person says, I don't care. I want to cause harm. Uh, then there's nothing more I can say to them. <laughs> it's just, well, if you want to cause harm and my value is not to cause harm, then we're at odds here and there's not much more we can do. Even if I appeal to self-interest and say, well, this is going to cause harm to you. And they say, I don't care about causing harm to me. Then again, I that value is invalidated. There's nothing I can do about that to get them to agree to that from some objective standpoint. And the whole point is that philosophically, you can't have a value that is more important than another value without reference to another value. <laughs> so, and that just goes on down the line. So that's what I want to talk about when it comes to that. I, I was frustrated that more people weren't challenging me 
<laughs> in the in the comment they were all so lauded so just like oh my gosh thank you so much for happy having dr craig on the show this is so great and that they weren't engaging any of the substantive topics whatsoever they're just saying how great it was to have him on there there's no way that this kind of an argument i mean even even if you weren't aware of the counter arguments i couldn't see that this would be with such vague language and unknowns and all that stuff that you would see that and say okay well that's sufficient obviously it's a it's an emotional thing it's something that you're rationalizing secondarily because now you have some kind of a meaning in your life so anyway that's that's dr william lane craig on the ben shapiro show and that's some of what they talked about they talked about a lot more i was going to do a different show today but i just wanted to talk about this to get it off my chest so <laughs> appreciate it just have valid arguments oh my gosh and at the very least if you're gonna advocate an invalid argument at the very least when somebody tells you to steel man it or if you're gonna have any integrity whatsoever genuinely put forth the legitimate counter arguments to your claim don't just make up some straw man arguments to say look those are so easily refuted my claim must be so much stronger it's so annoying so dishonest and it just exhibits this lack of integrity on that side it's so ridiculous i mean they're definitely losing long term when it comes to religiosity that's something on the steep decline but it might be outpaced by the reproductive rate in third world countries that don't have access to these kinds of counter arguments so i don't know that's what i wanted to do i appreciate you listening hope all is well that's the last coffee house